this has uh, been an awesome week for us here at Gospel Light to be able to practice these songs and prepare them for you. And believe me, every single night we have practiced for three or four hours, this auditorium, though empty, has been a worship service. I mean, we have just absolutely been overwhelmed by God's goodness. So you've heard it once. We've, we've been hearing it for 16, 20 hours this week, uh, but it's been, it's been awesome. Thank you so much. We are finishing this sermon in three sermons. The, the message of the title of the series is What Brings the Glory Down in the Church? And if you notice in your worship guide, we began with the, the discussion of the Word of God. The proclamation of God's Word is the very first thing that brings the glory down in the church. There is nothing more important than the proclamation, the preaching of God's Word. Uh, but if I could say this equally as important is the awe-inspiring worship of our Savior. And maybe arguably, I should rethink this thing, maybe in some ways it's more important because worship is eternal and preaching is temporal. Think about it. What I'm doing right now is something that will end one day. There'll be no need for sermons about salvation in heaven. We'll never stop worshiping the King of kings and Lord of lords. You'd be better getting down really good what it means to really worship God because that's what you're going to do for all eternity. We're not going to sit and listen to somebody preach in heaven. We're going to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords and serve him with awe-inspiring worship and service for all eternity. So, you know, maybe I need to rethink that introduction just a little bit. This is such an important part of the glory of God coming down in the church. We've kind of focused on several verses, but none has been more important than the verse in Isaiah that speaks about the heavens of God opening up and the glory of God coming down from heaven and it being such a powerful experience that it would move us. It would move us from shoulders up judgmental worship to experiencing what it means to say, God, you are a forever God, and you are the only God, and you have given blessed assurance. When we begin to allow the Holy Spirit to work freely, when we remove the barriers of, of criticism and stylistic issues. So these are some of the things that we've been talking about and experiencing together and asking God to work in our own hearts individually. And we had several people uh, last time we met together on this sermon testify. We had one testify who was 93 years old of what this has meant to her, all the way down to a young person ex expressing what it's meant to them. So there's been a wide variety of, of, of views and how God is working in their lives. And so that was a fun time when Josiah and Luke and Sonia and Marion and Beverly shared their testimonies. I made some statements like this in the first sermon. Worship or adoration is the most powerful expression a human being is capable of. I said that worship literally means, literally. And when you understand this, this is one that you really need to meditate on for just a moment. It means to fall or to lie face down before someone on the ground. The literal definition of worship is an expression, a bodily expression of our adoration towards someone. Think about that. When you worship, you are saying that, that this one is worth more and I am worth less. When we come to church, we, are, we, are, we should be acknowledging the fact that he is worth more. It's not about who's on the stage. It's not about who sings the song. It's he is worth more and I am worth less. Worship is the magnification of God and it's the minimization of, of self. We said that Jesus deserves our most passionate worship. Anything you get more excited about than Jesus Christ is a problem. 
It really ought to be a problem. If you see someone that's excited about Jesus, let them get as excited about Jesus as they want to. Because that they're on the right track. They're on the right track. John 4, 24 speaks of worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And we've talked about what that looks like and, and how that uh, worship can't be just a head thing. It can't just be in our heads. It's got to be in our hearts, which will then be an overflow in our lives. And then finally, God doesn't want us to just think great thoughts about him. God wants us to be moved in our hearts about what we are saying and what we are singing. So that's a quick review of everything. And and I've got about 30 minutes to to finish this message. And so I'm going to be able to do that. I want you to listen as we I've kind of given you a recap of the past two messages, didn't, didn't do it justice. You can go on the internet to listen to those two if you'd like. But I want to conclude by reminding you of what I started with in the last sermon. And it was a turning point in my life, which can I be honest and say that I think we ought to have turning points in our lives as Christians. I was telling some folks before the service that are visiting with us here today, I said, you know, after 21 years of pastoring the same church, it can get monotonous. Can I just be transparent with you? I think that's why a lot of uh, preachers, Brother Doug, experience burnout. It's just same old, same old. And, 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 and what they're doing is they're missing, uh, I think, some things that God is trying to teach them and show them and share with them as, as generations continue to move on and as God introduces new technology, new methods, new ways of reaching the masses, of reaching people in our communities. And, and sometimes we just say, stay so stuck in our tradition that, honestly, we get bored with ourselves. And I, find, I found myself getting a little bored He's kind of wondering, you know, I, honestly, I was doing some serious soul searching in my heart when I visited the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. And I reviewed that story with you and said, look, this was, it was a life changer for me. You know, standing next in a room of, with 5,000 worshipers in Brooklyn, New York, 5,000 worshipers. And, you know, when the, when the lady next to me said, you know, can I have 10 things to pray with you about? Pastor asked everyone in the audience to, all the visitors to remain standing as the members were seated, and, and I remained, I, I stood, I was a visitor, I was about 150, 200 visitors, and the lady next to me then asked if I'd come out into the aisle, and she could pray with me, so we knelt in the aisle, and she prayed with me over 10 things that I expressed to her, we went back into the pews, and, and we began to, they began to sing, and to be honest, I was, uh, you know, like some of you were this morning, like, what's going on here, why, what's happening, why, why is, is someone raising their hands, why is someone looking up, why aren't we looking down at a hymn book? And, and we begin to kind of ask questions. And that, that's the way I was. I'd never been in a service like that, ever. I had never been outside of my small world, which was Roman Catholicism and, 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 and a denominational Baptist. So that's all I had known. And so when God allowed me to experience that, it was, it was, it was unusual. I'm only going to show one video. It's two minutes long. But I thought, I told Ken, let's take them to Brooklyn, New York. So we're going to Brooklyn. Sonia went there about a month ago. We didn't get to go with her. So welcome to Brooklyn, New York. Two minutes. Here is the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Maybe you can see why God did something in my heart. Just picture yourself sitting in that building with me for just a moment.
an example of what I experienced in that building for the first time in my life, in my life. And as I stood there and, and looked around me, like, I mean, in the crowd, next to people worshiping, and you know what, I, I didn't know then what I know now, because now it's been five years, five years of a lot of prayer, five years of a lot of reading, five years of a lot of, of just trying to find out, you know, have I been missing something? Is there something that I'm not, I'm not getting here? I'm emphasizing a lot of rules in my life. I'm emphasizing a lot of separation from the world, which has now included separation from other Christians and other churches. I feel really isolated right now. Could it be that there are other Christians in the world that love God maybe even more than I do? Could it be that others expressing themselves to God are not, you know, charismaniacs as I would hear it? Could it be they are real people who just love God? And as I began to get some answers to those questions from the Holy Spirit, um, God began to really teach me something about what's, what I'm calling vertical worship. Worship that is not horizontal. You see, if you notice something about those that were singing, they weren't singing to one another. They weren't singing to some guy waving his arms. They were singing to him. Because that's why we gather. And I'll show you in Scripture that's why we gather. It's, it's right here in the Bible. It's not my opinion. It's not, it's not some sort of a music school. You're not in music school. I know nothing about music. You say, well, what were you doing up there? Pressing one button on the keyboard. Because Vince can't do both. He can just about do anything else. But the one thing Vince can't do is he's, he can't press a button and play the guitar at the same time. But Vince, you need to figure that out, all right? And, uh, but so I was just pressing the button. But I was, I'm glad it was, just took one hand, brother, because how can you listen to forever and, and not have one hand loose to freely worship God? Wow, that was awesome. And so I, I gave you the first word last week, and it's the word vertical. Write that in your notes. It's there, vertical. And, and I was, reflect back on that Tuesday night in New York. There was one clear difference that made all the difference to me. And here was the one clear difference. The people sang to the Lord, not about the Lord. I'm going to wait till you get that, because there's nothing more important than what I just said. The one fundamental difference I learned that day, that evening, was that people sang to the Lord. Are you getting this? They sang to the Lord, not about the Lord. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Psalm 96, verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord. Bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. 
And so over and over again in Scripture, we see that God says, sing to him a new song. There's nowhere in the Bible you find, just, just so you know this, where it says sing an old song. <laughs> Always says sing a new song. doesn't matter. I mean, old songs aren't, you know, what, what says old and what says new. I mean, some songs are 400 years old. Some songs are four days old. Uh, we've sung them both today, and that's been great. But, but it does see, say sing unto the Lord. That's the significant part, not the new part, the, the unto the Lord part. What about Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 10? The Bible says, sing unto the Lord a new song. And over and over again in Scripture, we we could do this this morning. Much of what I have learned to sing in my life was horizontal singing. It was throwing things together. It was just, hey, uh, what do we sing today? Well, oh, we sang that one a month ago. Let's not sing that one. You want to sing the first, second, and third? No, let's just sing the first and last. Let's have them sit down on the first and stand up on the second. It was real. It was all put together on Sunday morning. And I don't say this to brag, I don't, but, but, but years ago, it was a five-minute practice session for worship, five minutes. And the five minutes had nothing to do with singing, it was just breezing through a songbook and picking three hymns out. What you heard for 20 minutes today in church was 16 hours of prayer and preparation and practice so that when we come together on Sundays, there is an, there is a, an, an atmosphere, there is a presence of God in this place that, that can be opened up and ushered in. And I want to tell you something, folks. I'm convinced that these gatherings we have on Sunday morning are not just like going to a drive through window at Wendy's and ordering a burger and a shake. This is our time to come together as a corporate gathering, to experience God, to learn God's Word, and then to leave this place and become true disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, truth of the matter is we're not going to win the world of Christ in here. We're going to win the world of Christ on the streets, in Walmart, in other places. And when I say win the world, I say that in an exaggerated sense. I think you know what I mean. That's where we're going to impact this world is, is out and about in our communities. We come together to worship as, 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 as children of God. Amen. And that's what we've done this morning. So the concern with horizontal singing is that it leads us to a, to a mistaken view and notion that God is not present in his church. Do you understand? I, I, I was having my devotions this morning, and uh, man, God just gave me this this morning. It was awesome. Is that God is not just near us. He is with us. In this building, he's with us. Sometimes I just think we think he's in the proximity. He's somewhere on the campus. He hasn't made it in the building yet. Maybe he hasn't been on your pew, but he's been on mine. I promise you he's been, he's breezed past me today. What's that all about? It's about the glory of God. It's about a manifestation of the presence of God. It's a scriptural thing. It's Old Testament. It's New Testament. It's today. God wants to visit with his people because he inhabits the praises of his people. Amen. And amen. And I love it. And I'm learning to love it more every Sunday. So when you and I stand in a circle, uh, potentially, and we're, I talked about this last week, and we're speaking, or two weeks ago, and time flies, and we're speaking to someone or about someone, when they walk into the room, and I'll just quickly say this, we don't speak about them anymore, we speak to them. And I gave that illustration a little bit more vividly, I'll, I'll breeze through it here this morning, but if God is here, let's, let's talk to God, let's not, let's, if we're talking about God, if we're singing about God, let's sing to him since he's in the building. Let's not sing about him. That's, that's, that's very rude. It's rude to talk about somebody when they're in, the, in your presence. Talk to them. If God is here, folks, and if he's not, then go somewhere where you can find him. But if he's here, and I believe he is, then let's sing to him. God is present in our worship. So we've got to frame all of our language and our music at Teen Revolution 
to worship him and not merely just talk about it. Psalm 22, verse 3 is awesome. I think I've already quoted it, but, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. And so we're trying to learn what it means to sing to him. The hymns don't give you that as much. There's some that do. Some of the hymns don't, don't give you that. And we just don't meet long enough for me to sing every hymn in that hymn book if they don't sing to Jesus. And so we've taken the hymns that are vertical. If they're vertical, we keep singing them. If they're not, we try to avoid them in our church services. We can sing them at picnics and youth gatherings maybe, hanging out, just have a little fun around the piano. That's great. But when I'm coming to church, I want to, I want to sing to Jesus. I want to sing to him. Number two, the word simple. Write that word down. The word simple. We're just discussing here four words that can elevate our worship experience. And simple just simply meaning that, that God is not looking for uh, necessarily for theology and, and some sort of a discourse uh, from every heart that worships him in, on a Sunday morning. The Bible really speaks of throne room worship as being rather simple. In fact, there are several scriptures. We'll just go, can't skip to Revelation 5.13. I think it's the, the last one of this little segment. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, here it is, pretty simple, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. It's pretty simple, isn't it? You know, we sing, I love songs that, that, that say the word holy in a repetitious way. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Simple. God is holy. God is worthy of our praise. When I, when I spend time in an intimate moment with my wife, I mentioned that, that our conversation, when it is most intimate, is not really all that detailed or difficult. It's pretty simple. I love you, sweetheart, more than I love anyone in all the world, and I just want you to know that. Number three, the third word is this. The word emotion. The word emotion. You want to elevate your worship experience. Then you need to understand that emotion is okay. Now one of the most incredible criticisms of some of the praise and worship songs. And by the way, I've been guilty of this as a preacher. I don't know why I did it. I'm almost embarrassed to say this. Because some people that I talk to are like, wow, I, I, can't, I don't even know where you're going with that. I've never even been there. And so they don't understand this. But actually, I preached against praise and worship. I didn't know why I did, but I preached against it. Here's why. Because I, I, I heard a preacher say, some of those praise and worship songs, like 7-Eleven, you know, sing one chorus, seven words, 11 times or something, you know. And I, and I heard the crowd roar. So I thought, good tagline i'll throw that one in my next sermon that's what we do sometimes is we we're, we're guilty of just finding out what 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 makes that crowd shout and so we just repeat it we don't have a verse we don't have any reason for saying it so i finally decided sorry gospel i guess i'm i'm not i'm, I'm not i'm not the, i wasn't hopefully hopefully i'm becoming i wasn't the pastor i should be i just said things that other people said without really studying them out i've changed that so i went to word of god and i thought Dude, I'm preaching against Jesus right now. What's wrong with me? Repetition. I mean, in Psalm chapter 119, you'll find 175 different references to the Word of God. The whole chapter, Psalm 119, is repetition about God's Word. 
And then in Psalm chapter 136, there are 26 repetition of one phrase. 7-11. Man, God really messed up on that one. He actually said, uh, uh, his mercy endures forever 26 times in one chapter. You got nervous when we said, we sing hallelujah, we sing hallelujah, we sing hallelujah, the Lamb has overcome. And you're like, again? And then on the third one, you, some of you said, oh my goodness. On the fourth one, you just said, I'm not singing this anymore. I mean, God gets nine hallelujahs and that's it for me today. We gave God 15 hallelujahs. And, 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 and God gave himself and his word 26. His mercy endures forever. Let me talk to you about repetition. Repetition allows our emotions to enter into what we're doing. Sometimes it just doesn't do it to say it once. Sometimes it's got to build. Sometimes there needs to be an element of repeating. Let me give you four quick words here uh, that, that will help you in understanding what repetition does in our worship. Number one, the word, uh, write this word down, reviewing. Repetition allows our emotions to enter, and here's four benefits of it. Reviewing, meditating, reflecting, and pondering. Think about those four words. Those four words can happen when we are... The, the song forever. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. The lamb is overcome. What happens after you sing it a second time? You begin to, you review that. Then you begin to meditate on that. Honestly, the lamb has overcome. The lamb has overcome. Have you ever talked to somebody and said, are you listening to me? Are you hearing me? I just told you, you won a million dollars. Did you hear me? After the service, you're getting a million dollars. What's wrong with you? Aren't you excited? And Isaiah just goes, yeah, right, preacher. You ain't got one dollar. Huh? You ain't giving me no million dollars. He's right about that. I was kind of a little bit. I should have done it like 10 bucks because you'd have got excited if I was really serious about 10 bucks. And sometimes, honestly, when we're leading worship, we feel that way. Does anybody hear what we're singing? Does anybody get it? Anybody hearing the Lamb has overcome? Can anybody? I mean... Is anybody hearing? The lamb has overcome. And so what happens is when we meditate on it and we reflect on it and we ponder it on, on it, the repetition sometimes of a song begins to really well up in our hearts and an understanding of what that really means begins to really soak in. And that's what I remember about that night back in New York. I remember the emotion that I experienced as they sang over and over again. But I thought in case we had some folks that would need Wesley, Whitfield, and Edwards, because these guys are 300, 400 years old now. They're in heaven, but they're like old. <laughs> so I thought I'd read you a little bit of, of their story. Here's John Wesley, 1703 to 1791. He was one of the founding members of the Methodist movement, and his journals are filled with descriptions of unusual physical manifestations that accompanied revival. Um. For example, when describing the effects of a sermon on Saturday, July 4th, 1759, he said several fell to the ground in the service, some of whom seemed dead. Others, in the agonies of death, the violence of their bodily convulsions exceeding all description. There was also great crying and agonizing in prayer mixed with deep and deadly groans on every side in a church service. Here's George Whitfield. He was a contemporary of Wesley in England. 
Now, when George heard that reports of people responding boldly in Wesley's meeting, Whitfield confronted his fellow preacher in a letter dated uh, June 25th, 1739. And here's what Whitfield said to Wesley. I cannot think it right in you to give so much encouragement to these convulsions which people have been thrown into your ministry. But a very short time later, he had to recant those words and apologize to Wesley. Because Henry Venn, a contemporary of Whitfield, wrote of the crowds listening to the great preacher. And under Mr. Whitfield's sermon, many among the immerse, immense crowd that filled every part of the burial ground were overcome with fainting. Some sobbed deeply, others wept silently, and others' concern appeared on the countenance of almost the whole assembly. Where's that gone in the church today? What about Jonathan Edwards? He also described the sometimes unusual events that would accompany a revival. So if you thought something was unusual today, it's okay. Probably a good thing. Writing of those who find God's grace for the first time, Edward said, it was very wonderful to see how persons' affections were sometimes moved when God, as it were, suddenly opened their eyes. Their joyful surprise had caused their heart, as it were, to leap so that they had been ready to break forth into laughter. Can you imagine somebody just praising God about his salvation and said, Thank you, Jesus! You're awesome! Well, that would be a little inappropriate church if we break forth into laughing. No, it wouldn't. I mean, if you're, if you're happy about the, the right thing, amen? He goes on to say, tears often at the same time issuing like a flood and intermingling with loud weeping. I could go on and read more. Now, I don't use the word convulsion. That's kind of a weird word. Like, I would really feel strange if Robert Posey went to convulsions. I'd probably call the EMT, okay? So, so, so. So I think convulsions is probably a word we wouldn't use. But sometimes this is what we feel like as a convulsion. That's a convulsion in, 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 in a lot of Baptist churches. That is, I mean, what, what is he? He's not feigning. He's not falling out. He's not, he's just raising his hand. <gasps> Movement! Movement in the church! Sometimes when I'm really music, this is what, I just, I'm dancing before the Lord. I'm not doing something sensual or something. I'm just, I just, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm I'm trying to explain a little bit to you because I know this is something I've needed. Some emotions we can express in worship are gratitude, joy, and godly sorrow. Gratitude, joy, and godly sorrow. I can't imagine worship without emotion anymore. I can't imagine it. I can't. Honestly, I I can't imagine worshiping without emotion. Lord, I can't do it. I just, I I can't. I've come to the place where I'm really listening to the words and I'm singing to Jesus. And when I sing to him, it's overwhelming sometimes. It just is. Even love lifted me now. Love lifted me, a good old hymn. That song, if you sing those words, love lifted me. It changed my life, God's love. I can't sing that song, shoulders up, straight up, like this. I can't do it anymore because I'm singing to him. And then the last word, we're done, physical. Physical. Now, I want you to remember Mark 12, 30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Focus on the word strength. I've got them all in kind of bold letters there, focus on the word strength. Strength meaning with all of our physical strength. I realize young people have more strength than I do. (laughs) That's why there's more energy, Jay, at Team Revolution. 
it, there's just more energy. I mean, you get 2,000 young people in a room, and that's a lot of strength, a lot of energy. You know, the youth pastors usually say, wear them out, so they'll go to bed. Wear them out. Don't sing boring songs. Sing some songs that'll get them, you know, we want to worship the Lord today. These kids are ready, man. They're fired up. So you've got a younger generation that, that understands strength, but can I tell you, all of us have a level of strength. And here's what it's all about, finding out how can I max out for God? How can I worship him with all of my strength as a 93-year-old person, as a 63, as a 53, as a 43, as a 49? How can I max out worship? I want to give it all I've got. Well, let, me, let me explain this biblically. Because involving your body in worship is what helps in training emotion connect with intellect. Okay? So write these things down. First of all, and remember this, King David. King David, the greatest worshiper in the world, was known for exemplifying physicality in his worship. So write down these six words. Voice. Voice is the first one. That's an easy one. Amen? Psalm 116 and verse number 1. The Bible says, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice. Amen? He's heard my voice. So guess what? Everybody can sing. So Jay was leading worship, and he was saying, let me hear you. Let me hear you. Let me hear you. You weren't talking about anything else but their voice. Let me hear you. Sing, church. Sing, church. Lift your voice. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice. Lift your voice. The first way we can physically worship God is lift our voice forever. He is glorified forever. He. Not bad. Not like you, but <laughs> his lifted high. I mean, mm, I love it. You know, I got in Joe's car the other day and I was like, good night, son. How do you even hear it? He's singing louder than the music. Amen. Lifting his voice. The second word I want you to write down is the word eyes. The word eyes. I wanted to say one more thing about voice. I, I just wrote this down. Some songs are better not shouted, but some songs are better shouted. Some songs are better sang, sang low. Some are better sang high. I want to make sure I just make that clear. Um, oh, I didn't show Psalm 71, verse 23, did I, Ken? I'm getting so excited. Can you show that real quick? My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing unto thee. Wow. That's in your Bibles. King James. <sighs> yeah. My lips shall rejoice. No, no. Greatly rejoice. I don't know how you greatly rejoice with your lips, but I'm sure it's more than this. Forever he is glorified forever. I'm sure it's... Here we go. Lips get with it for Jesus. Amen? Here we go. I'll tell you something else. My lips get with it. Amen. I kiss my wife. I'm there. I miss out a little... If I just give her a peck, she's like, what's up with that? I'm a romantic guy. I am. Can I tell you something? When I worship God, I want to give him my lips. My lips shall greatly rejoice. That's just, that's good stuff. My eyes, Psalm 123, verse 1. Unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O O thou that dwellest in the heavens. You know, I think think when we sing, it helps sometimes when you're singing to God to look up and just lift your eyes. I lift up my eyes into the hills from whence cometh my what? My help, my left. Open my eyes. There's times when I close my eyes. Usually I close my eyes when I'm under conviction, to be honest, when it's just overwhelming and I'm like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Contrition, God, 
forgive me when I'm worshiping. See? And so our eyes have something to do with worship. The scripture repeatedly talks about the eyes. What about the head? Unless kneeling or bowing in contrition, there is really no good reason to tilt the head downward in worship. Psalm 3, 3, look at this. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the what? Lifter! You're the lifter of my head. I once was lost, but now I'm found. (laughs) Amen? My head. God, I love you. And then write down the word hands. It's an interesting thing that we do most, what we do most with our hands in worship is hold and fold. Hold and fold. The Bible never says to hold and fold your hands. Let me, let me tell you what the Bible does mention in Scripture. Not holding and folding. Look at it. Psalm 47.1. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. I, some of you have a hard time clapping in the sanctuary. Psalm 63, verse 4. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. It's okay. I love it. Psalm 140, is it, uh, what was that, Ken, 113, verse 6, is that it? Got my context in. 143, verse 6, thanks. I stretch forth my hands unto thee. Stretch. When I stretch, I'm like, hey, come on. Come on. Oh, God. I just wish I could reach to the heavens. Stretch. What about Psalm 134, verse 2? Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. What about 1 Timothy 2.8, for those of you New Testament people? I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. It's amazing. You know, when a soldier comes home from duty, I, I fly a lot. And you know, here's what happens. You see the, the wife, right? And you see the kids, and they're holding up posters. Welcome home. I love you, Daddy. The guy's been gone a year. He's been gone a year. You ought to see the emotion. When that soldier, I love it. Every time a soldier's on the plane, I always just wait. Right when they can meet their family, I always stop and step aside. I want to see it. I never keep walking. I just step aside and I watch. It is the most glorious thing you've ever seen. To watch little children and a wife who hasn't seen their husband and daddy for a year. And it's like, daddy! And they run and jump in his arms. And I think about Jesus. And how we're going to see him face to face. And how he gives us a little glimpse of his glory. When I come to church on Sundays. And I want you to know he's coming back. And when he comes back. And I'm, I'm holding up a sign right now. I'm holding up a sign right now. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And then write down the word legs. Kneeling can be a very important part of worship. Psalm 95 and verse number 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. So we have a little altar call in a minute. And you know what the altar call is? It's, we give a little more real estate up here so, so you can come if you want to just kneel. And just kneel before your God. Sometimes in the middle of a service. It's okay if that happens. You say, preacher, is it out of line if during the worship service I were to come down and kneel? I think that would be a very helpful thing in our church if, if folks felt like they just needed to come during the worship and pray. Is, uh, Jesus said, you've made my house a den of thieves. It's, it's a house of prayer. Folks, you can pray wherever you want in this church building. It's not out of line to pray during the preaching, during the worship, after the service. Amen. Just come and pray. Kneel. And then finally, last word, feet. You was hoping I wouldn't get to this one, I know. But it's in the Bible. 2 Samuel 6, 14. 
David danced before the Lord with all his might. Wow. I think sometimes, you know, we look at that word dance and we just automatically think about some kind of secular activity. Dancing is not all secular. If David did it, it wasn't secular. Amen. If David did it, it wasn't sensual. Whatever David did was good. Would you agree? I don't know what that looks like for him. I know this. I'm not much of a dancer. I don't know. I've never danced. I don't know how to dance. I don't know much about dancing. I've been told it's okay to dance with my wife. We just haven't done it yet. We haven't learned it yet. We've done a little waltzing, you know, alone in, you know, in a, in a room somewhere. I don't know much about dancing, but I do know this, that I get excited. And when I get excited, usually I do this. <laughs> and I just, and I don't know if that's dancing or not, but I know sometimes when I get to preaching, I'll just, and I think I just get so, my feet just move. My feet just turn to action. And I just, come on. You ever seen a coach coaching on the sideline? And he's doing this? And he's just, he's like, Ooh. You know, the guy's going up for the three at the last second. He's all, whoa, and then he hits it. And he goes, yes. Could that be maybe what David's doing? I don't know. Think about it. These physical expressions of worship are all commanded and modeled in the Bible. They're commanded and they're modeled. All of these physical expressions of worship. Stay focused on God as we continue to pursue him and come into a deeper and fuller adoration of Jesus Christ. And it's going to look different for everybody. But I believe with all of my heart that we're learning to worship him in spirit and in truth at gospel light. And the highest and most powerful human expression is to express our love to the most worthy object of that affection. And that is Jesus Christ. And honestly, that's where I'm at. I'm not going to allow some religious culture to tell me I can't worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm not going to do it. I want to be wide open for Jesus. I want to worship him. I want him to know that my my adoration for him is is real and true and, and that he alone is worthy of my praise. And I believe preaching brings the glory down in the church, but awe inspiring worship brings the glory down. Next Sunday, I'm going to tell you what the third thing is or what I think it is. But that's next Sunday. We're still today. Has God spoken to your heart? Has God been leading you in a direction? Has God been taking you deeper into his word about worship? Have you been enjoying your small groups? Have you been personally studying this matter of worship? I walked by Brother Butch's class, and I heard them deep in discussion about worship. It was good. I stood by the door and listened, Butch. I like it. God's working. Just let him work. Let him work. Let him work in your life. Let's bow for prayer, and then I'll tell you how we're going to finish today. Father, I love you. I thank you for working in my heart, my life. Thank you for what you're doing. 